You're listening to the Big Locals Podcast, a podcast platform built to serve the locals. Join us as we follow the innovative, eccentric, and movers and shakers of the Denver community. Brought to you by the not-so-local host, Ian Jimeno. Shop local, support local. Big Locals Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Big Locals Podcast. My name is Ian Jimeno and thank you so much for spending your precious precious time with me. This episode is all about following Curtis Bell, the dude that was born and raised in Colorado and became a personal chef and created a monster of a chili paste. This chili paste is a Frankenstein of savory flavor and spicy notes and eventually created the monster that is a match made in heaven for your proteins such as steaks, salmon, eggs, and whatever else you decide to put your spicy stuff on. Quite honestly, it replaced my sriracha in my fridge. I feel like I'm <laughs> being sacrilegious here, but nonetheless, me so hot is the real deal. Guys, get to it. But this conversation is not all about the me so hot creation. Curtis also talks about his documentary on pho and the origins of pho, traveling all across California and even Vancouver and Canada. And we also talk about his experience as a personal chef for Von Miller, the Denver Broncos Super Bowl 50 MVP. And we also talk about the love and support of the sauce and business pop-up community. He wouldn't have been able to get this far without those communities. So be sure to leave a like, follow, subscribe, review, five stars, or whatever for the podcast. I want the world to hear about the up-and-coming Denver entrepreneurs and artists of this day and age. So a couple shout-outs here. Curtis wouldn't have been able to get this far without his own support foundation. And every person and organization he mentions is in the show notes for your benefit. The song that was playing in the intro is called Pack It Up by Bison Bone from the latest album, Find Your Way Out. Courtney Whitehead is a great dude and uh, very genuine, very awesome. So I can't wait to uh, have COVID finally end so that we can actually see him live and see his band live. Um, I first heard it over at Indie 102.3, the local artist meetup for October. And he was such a genuine guy. Made me laugh, made me cry with tears of joy. Nonetheless, I listen to his music and it rocks. Americana rock and roll. It's beautiful. One more huge shout out to Pablo Villalpando out in the San Jose, California area for working on the big locals website. Pablo himself has a local mindset, helping out the smaller businesses and side hustles such as this podcast with a bartering system. I agreed to trade some of my home brewed beer for his services on the website. Check out his own website and become part of his own bartering system. Or if you need an SEO expert, search engine optimization expert for your website, look for pablovielpondo.com. I'll put his website in the show notes, so check that out. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation with Curtis Bell and his creation, Miso Hot. Welcome to the Big Locals Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So I guess um, talking about you, Mr. Curtis, who are you and why do you like Colorado so much? Why have you stayed here your whole life pretty much? Well, I'm born and raised in Colorado and that's a, a rarity these days, it seems. But I went to school in New York to be a chef. I went to the Culinary Institute of America. Once I was finished, I had an opportunity to come back to Denver 
there were other opportunities to go to New York City. So I had this battle of which do I do? But I really missed Colorado and not just family, but the fact of the mountains and the good weather and uh, you name it. At that time, the food scene wasn't particularly incredible, but I had an opportunity to work for Kevin Taylor when restaurant Kevin Taylor was around. And that restaurant was at the top of Denver's food scene at the time. So it was a great opportunity and really gave me a good foot in the door. I came back and I've been here ever since. Yeah. And Colorado has definitely developed. I mean, when I heard of Colorado, you know, you hear of outside things, you know, hiking, recreational things. Everybody lives on top of a mountain. It snows a lot. We all wear cowboy hats. That's what I got when I was in school. People just assumed that it was cold and terrible. (laughs) That was my first inclination. And being here since the end of August this year, I've only been here for maybe a month and a half now. The weather's beautiful here. Oh my gosh. I I will say this is the warmest October I've ever seen. Okay. Generally, October is a bit more dramatic, Mm -hmm. but so far, yeah, this has been pretty incredible. Yeah. Without that weird drop, I think there was a day after Labor Day going from 90 degrees Fahrenheit to about 30-ish degrees. Oh, it was below 30. Yeah. And that's sort of a swing. Colorado is known to have 70 degree temperature swings in, in August, September, October, and then also again in March through June, you just never know. Mm-hmm. You never know. And that's, that's one of the big things of living here is being ready for whatever, keeping a jacket in your car or whatever else that means. Layer up. The, yeah. the only instance of layering up in San Diego is maybe uh, an extra shirt on top of your tank top. And that's about it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The seasons don't quite exist in, in a lot of California, which Man, I, I, I love California. I spent some time out there. Uh, a few years back, I was filming a documentary about pho. And we spent a lot of time in San Diego and L.A. and San Francisco. And, man, it's it's pretty gorgeous there. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it called Fuckumentary? Yeah, it's the Fuckumentary. <laughs> it's still in post-production. I have a, a friend who's been working on editing it. And, you know, I can't put a timeline on when it'll be finished or how it would ever be released being self-funded and, and produced, it's it's pretty hard to put out a full feature-length documentary on, on one person's shoulders. Yeah, so, so you're in post right now. I mean, you filmed yeah. everything that you needed to so far? Yeah, we, we did over 50 interviews all over the United States and Vietnam and even up into Vancouver a little bit. And it's just a, a fascinating story trying to find the story of where pho comes from, you know, in America, it's become this phenomenon and people love it, but nobody knows where the numbers come from. Nobody knows where the dish itself comes from. And there's so many stories, even amongst the Vietnamese community of what the backstory is of of how it came to be a dish. Mm -hmm. So that was really fascinating to, to chase and find at least the closest we were able to find to that story. Yeah. Me having almost no culinary background or history knowledge, especially in the Asian communities, you got your ramen, you got your pho, and it seems to be all tying up in that sort of area. I mean, sure, you have like chicken noodle soup here, or various types of soup, meatball soup, whatever, lentil soup. But I mean, with the noodles, the glass noodles, the, the tripe, that specific, well, I guess, in your opinion, what makes pho, pho? To me, it's, along with other dishes as well, they're utilitarian, and they came 
out of poverty. As many many uh, cuisines around the world, their best dishes, their most safe or most family. What's what am I looking for? Comfort food dishes are generally foods of poverty, and in the early 1900s, pho came from people just using what they had on hand, mm-hmm. and it developed into this broth made from originally not beef, but water buffalo is what they had. That was their beast of burden. And then cows were introduced with the French occupation. So pho came to be. And to me, I mean, pho is definitely about the broth, but the word pho more so tends to refer to the noodles. Mm. And so it's, it's hard to say whether it's the noodles or the broth, but I don't think you can have pho without the broth. Yeah. And it's very identifiable. You know, uh, compared to any sort of other soup, right? You either yeah. get your bean spouts in there, you get your the green chilies in there, and whatever additives you want there, the plum sauce. I always have mine with sriracha, but now miso hot, I put it in there mm-hmm. in my pho. <laughs> but it's, I, and I really like the title of the documentary. I'm all about puns, by the way. And um, it's a phenomenon, like you said. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's cool stuff. So with that transition into miso hot, what have you put your product in with miso hot? Really, I've put it in everything I can. You know, my, my day job, I'm a personal chef for a few clients around town and some athletes as well. And they've become my guinea pigs over the past <laughs> year for what the distances that miso hot can go. It, it's really not tied to a cuisine. I specifically made it without a a whole lot of vinegar so that it's not super acidic. I didn't put garlic in it so that it doesn't impart an allium flavor, which also a lot of people are having more sensitivities to. So there's benefit in that also. Mm -hmm. And then it's just been really great with all proteins. I mean, I put it on my eggs every morning. I put it in marinades for steaks and chicken. I put it straight on top of salmon for a nice broiled salmon so proteins and soups and stews, I mean, red chili, green chili, anything that I'm looking for that extra bit of spice and also that extra bit of depth of flavor. Mm. You know, when, when a dish is just missing that certain something that you can't figure out, a lot of times you're missing salt or umami, mm. which is a rich, savory flavor. So by adding miso hot, you're adding not only spiciness and a roasted deep flavor, but also that savory depth that you're really craving. I can totally attest to that. With that product and that little first taste that I got in your tasting dish, I think it was a little ramekin of it. I was like, wow, this is a nice punch. I mean, it's not like painful, you know? I I guess if it were to my scale, it's not like Thai hot or Thai spicy, but it's like medium to hot. If on a scale, I'd give it like a five, you know, pretty much right there in the middle and it's great on everything, you know? And yeah, the, and that's the, that was the goal with the heat was for it to be approachable for everybody's heat sensitivity. Heat is subjective. Everybody's tolerance is so different. So I want it to be middle ground, but with significant heat, but not super hot and not too mild either. So that's why there's the blend of the six different peppers in there. There's bell peppers that are bringing the heat down. And then there's red ties and habaneros at the other end of the spectrum that are bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see that it's right in that middle ground level for you. Yeah, excellent. I and mean, I'm so used to like, you know, Mexican salsas, you get your uh, late night red sauces and green sauce. I don't know what the heck they put in there, but it's amazing, especially when you're drunk in a burrito place. Oh, yeah. Know? 
but a lot of times the red is like dried chili. So sometimes those ones can really sneak up on you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on how much they water them down. So let's back up a little bit. You obviously have some extreme knowledge on your <laughs> culinary um, history. You're an encyclopedia when it comes down to it, even just with this uh, conversation that we're having. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I haven't heard some of these adjectives that you're spewing out in years, you know? That's so funny. I, I, I don't even notice it at times. And I also <laughs> like viscosity and emulsification of my friends. And they're like, what do you mean? Right. But it's, yeah, I, I, I've always had this interest for food science, food anthropology. And it's something that I've had a curiosity for my whole life. Yeah. So thanks for, for that. That's, that's quite the compliment. Of course. And it's a fact. So going back to, you know, where that vocabulary came from, you said you went to culinary school over in New York. How yes. was that? And what sort of transition from that? You know, how did you go from that to, you know, going back to Colorado to Denver and sort of realizing that dream of culinary? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the dream started far before I went to culinary school. I mean, I, when I was 10, I would go out to eat with my dad a lot, his a single dad for a good while. And uh, had a decent expense account with his sales job. So <laughs> he'd bring me along with uh, his, his sales guys for dinner. And I realized that being a chef is, you know, a viable career choice. So at 10, I decided I wanted to be a chef. When I was 12, I told him I wanted to go to the CIA. And he was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Keep dreaming, kid. Uh, How was the CIA? It was amazing. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's hands down the, now, and, and this is going to make some people upset, you know, in the culinary community, but it's hands down the best school in the country. Go to any culinary school in the country and then go to the CIA and tell me that that campus, its library, its chefs, and everything that's available to the students isn't the best school mm. and best opportunity for any culinary student. It, and the thing is, there's great students that come, come in and out of any culinary school. It's really what you put into it is what you get out of it. Mm. It's an amazing school with some of the best chefs in the world. I mean, their professors are, many of them are certified master chefs, which is an accolade that they're, at the time when I was there, I don't know what the number is now. There were like 90 in the, in the country and nine of them were professors at the school. Wow. Also, the test just so happens to be administered at the CIA in New York. <laughs> Yeah. And it's a 10 day test that has like a 95% failure rate. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It's, I mean, absolute precision that I'll never get to, but anyways, yeah. Yeah. Amazing school. Yeah. And your Instagram and other blog posts that you have put on really attest to that, you know, your, I mean, it's just visual. I mean, with Instagram, sure. But people eat with their eyes and their noses first, you know? And if it looks extremely pleasing, you know it's going to be tasting good. And it could just be a placebo effect. I mean, I think it's it's an eight. I think it's within us to see a ripe, good-looking food is. Mm. We eat with our eyes and then our nose, you know, 70% of our taste is is from scent. So that's why, you know, a plate of fajitas goes passing by and everybody else orders it. <laughs> All right. That looks amazing. It's visually uh, stimulating and, and very stimulating to your, your sense of smell as well. Yeah. You're adding um, that added depth with the ears, you know, you yeah. hear that sizzle like, Ooh, Chad, yeah, exactly. what did you get? Ferran Adria once said, and I thought it was the best quote I've ever heard in food that uh, food is the only artistic expression experienced by all five senses. Mm. And that just really has always resonated with me. I wish I could taste music. 
Unfortunately, I can't. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Being able to uh, lick lick an art piece. <laughs> <laughs> right. This red really pops. I really love it. It's like a cherry. Well, the snozberries taste like snozberries, right? <laughs> yes. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> So going over to your post-CIA career, I saw that you are a personal chef for the athlete and Super Bowl MVP for Super Bowl 50, Von Miller, right? Yeah. I cooked for him for about three years. I ended that tenure earlier this year, actually, as a good break. I'd done three seasons with him, and it was mm. great. I mean, the guy's amazing. His family's amazing. His friends, everybody he surrounds himself are just, they're just great people, and you know, it was a really incredible time for me, but I, I launched Miso Hot in December and it started picking up steam mm -hmm. and I knew that I, I couldn't do both mm. and be fair to him. Cause what he, his needs during the season are, are a lot. I mean, he, he needs to eat a lot and he needs to eat when he needs to eat. And I need to be there for that. Mm. So I, 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 I didn't cut ties necessarily. I left the position in March so that he would have time before the new season starts to find somebody as a replacement. And a good friend of mine, Dan Golickson, who I've worked with for well over 10 years now, was cooking with me because I also have a family in Cherry Creek that I cook for, that I've been with for 10 years now. And I cook their dinner every weeknight. So on weeknights, Dan would be at Vaughn's house, and he still is. And he's been filling in the gaps as, as best as he's able to with everything else he has going on in his career also. What what a cool opportunity, and it's been pretty amazing getting to work for this, such a I mean, legendary athlete. And yeah, high-level player for sure. And when it yeah. comes down to it, I, I really respect that you didn't leave him high and dry, you know? I, yeah, I'm sure you guys had some sort of rapport over oh, those years, and... I mean, I remember after checking out some of his Instagram pages that he was like, dude, look at this food I got. This is amazing. Yeah, food all the time. <laughs> I, I kept it really quiet for a long time and until he tagged me in a post and then it went viral on Facebook. One of my friends was like, yeah, I was just watching Von Miller's story and boom, there's my friend from high school <laughs> post. So it, it was it was just public out of nowhere. Also, there was, there was a Westward article that ended up being written about it. It got blown wide open. I try to keep it pretty private. Also, there's an NDA, so I, I, I don't talk too much about what the, the world was there. Keep his, his secrets, his secrets. Of course. His diet, you know, whatever else. Yeah, with those secrets, I did hear, though, that he's available and open to almost any kind of food except for pork. Do you think that's just because he deals with pig skin all day or what? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I, you know, I think it was very much a, an ideological thing. He has a lot of other family members and friends that don't eat pork. Okay. Um, but the thing is diets change constantly for athletes. Athletes are always looking for different ways to, to get the best nutrition they can. Just towards the end of my tenure there, he, he actually changed that. He did start eating pork again. He trusted you in your culinary expertise. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, the gateway to pork is bacon. Mm. And, and I think he just really wanted some bacon. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, bacon and, and, you know, he really loves barbecue, mm. like smoked meats. It's something that his dad does a lot. He's, he's very much a lover of foods that he grew up on. 
and his dad's a wonderful cook. So is his mom, but his, his dad loves just, you know, everything with like big hunks of meat, you know, smoking briskets and racks of lamb. I mean, the, the guy, the guy throws down on a grill, like nobody's business. Oh yeah. So there'd be times that I, I go over to cook dinner and his dad's just like filled the entire counter with meats. It's like a Brazilian uh, <laughs> grill. I'm like, what the, I'm like, what, the? <laughs> what did I step into? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so did, was he ever a guinea pig for me so hot? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, he was one of the ori- original guinea pigs for me so hot. Okay. Because he loves spicy food. So as I started developing it, I started developing it in July of last year. I had first made it the previous January. So really only six months prior. I was January of 2019 that I first made it for a holiday party. Then in July, I had, I had, I had worked with a career coach just to think about like what my future really is. Mm-hmm. And I started writing a book. And I got like 70 pages in writing a book then the chili paste started happening and I stopped writing completely. I, the thing is that document exists and I can always return to it. You know, it's, it's not, that is a non-perishable idea. Mm. So I, I'm happy to go back to that when the time is right. And I, I have the time for it, but me so hot, I started developing it. I started giving it to people that had first heard of it and they were like, that's it. That's exactly what you made the first time. So I started putting it into Vaughn's food. I, uh, he loves fried rice. The dude is like crazy about Benihana's. <laughs> and, um, we, so I, I would recreate Benihana's for him and I'd make spicy fried rice. And then we started getting crafty with the fried rice and throwing like crab in it or duck confit. And then I did this smoked salmon fried rice with miso hot. Him and his, his brother asked me for the recipe for it. So I posted it actually on the Miso Hot page Okay, uh, as a tutorial. And that, that recipe is public for anybody. And I need to get it on the website too. <laughs> but, oh, I, I marinated steaks for him too. Mm-hmm. Um, just playing around with it. And people were like, whoa, man, what the heck is that? I, made a, I did steaks and then I did a beurre blanc essentially with the Miso Hot. And I poured that over the steaks like it were a Bernays. Wow. Hollandaise, like a spicy hollandaise. And uh, all, all the guys were just like floored. Yeah. I mean, even the adjectives that you're using and just making my mouth salivate. You know? <laughs> awesome. Cool. Um, yeah. I don't even know what half those things mean, but Bernays already sounds French and gourmet, yeah. you know? <laughs> French sauces. Where can we get Miso Hot now? I mean, I want to attend to your needs and what sort of benefits you the most. You know, I heard from you that you're selling this product at 11 different brick and mortar locations. But do you prefer if people go straight to you or do you prefer if people just get it whenever they can, however they can? You know, that's a it's a two sided question for for sure, because. The profit margin that helps me to push the business forward is best when purchases are made directly through me. When I'm getting the full retail value of it, that helps me to make more miso hot and and build the product. So buying it online or finding me at markets that I'm at is is best for me, but also supporting the retailers that I'm at is just as good. I mean, the, the other side of that is the more people that taste it, 
the happier I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I feel like it's the kind of product that you need to taste to believe how good it really is. And I fully believe in it. And anybody that tastes it, they become a quick believer in it as well. Really, I'm happy with either. But mm-hmm. there, there's obviously the benefit of a little extra cash that goes into my into the business. Nothing's going into my pocket right now. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen a penny. I've only given money. So but yeah, yeah, either is, is great. And the thing for online sales is that in the Denver metro area, I do local delivery. I do it myself or a friend of mine or my girlfriend will bring it straight to your house for free. I also do deals for buying whole cases where you get a couple jars for free. Buying four jars gets you free shipping if you're not in the Denver area. Mm-hmm. So things like that to make it a little bit easier for, for people that might not be in the Denver metro area. But I am also, I'm, I'm really gearing up towards retailers right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, markets are going to be fading away through the winter. So I want to still have that brand awareness continue to build. I've been working with some other retailers that I hope to be announcing soon, having it into their stores. Just yesterday, Cured Boulder, that's a, like a charcuterie, cheese meats, and other items store. Really cool shop just on Pearl Street. I dropped off a jar and later in the day, the owner emailed me and said, that's great. We'll take a couple cases, see how it goes. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to convince people to, to sell it for me. All they need to do is taste it and they know that other people will want it too. Yeah, no joke. And I, I think you have that growth mindset, you know, as yeah. much as you enjoy, you know, meeting these people up front, luckily I met you in person over at the NT market next to Fort Greene. Um, yeah, it's honestly awesome. And seeing the person yeah. behind it and seeing the genuineness and the passion behind it, that's what I want to capture through this stuff, you know, yeah. as opposed to, you know, going to a store, it's really nice, but it's very available. You know, yeah. I, I think that's the, what, what you're thinking of. It's very appealing to you just getting it out to the masses and making sure that the people of Denver know about the product. So makes total yeah. sense. Well, and you know, I mean, I, I love the market so much for being able to explain the product to people as they taste it for the first time. Mm. So you get to understand the real breadth of how far this product can be used as a condiment or as a building block of any any dish. And putting it on a shelf and having it speak for itself just by the, the label and the jar, you know, that, that doesn't do it justice necessarily. But if you know about it and you have a jar that runs out in your fridge and you need to find it somewhere and I'm not at a market that week, I'd love for it to be anywhere near anybody that wants to be able to get it. Oh yeah. You want them to just keep on coming. You know, you got to get that fix, get that IV drip straight into the vein, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, everybody has a bottle of Sriracha in their fridge. <laughs> You're the and next Sriracha, which Sriracha isn't trademarked. So I'm not talking about anyone on certain Sriracha. There you go. <laughs> but I, I think Sriracha is, is kind of like a one note song. Mm. Uh, whereas I feel Miso Hot has a lot more notes to it. That makes it more of a symphony of flavor mm. and a lot more versatile to use. So I think that could be the, I, I hope for it to potentially you know, the big grand dream is for it to be the next go-to spicy condiment that everybody wants to have and use on everything. Excellent. Curtis, that is yeah. awesome. I, I feel like what you just said, maybe the past 30 seconds is definitely tweetable, you know, <laughs> the <laughs> symphony cool. with the notes. Amazing. Cool. I love it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> well, I think it's time to go on to the final segment of the show, the Denver yeah. cash. What I'm going to be talking to you about is questions that I'm going to be asking every guest on the podcast. 
It's a little bit tweaked here and there based on your industry, based on what your product is and what your passion is. So you based on food and, um, you know, your culinary expertise and finding out what you're uh, really into. That's what the Denver cash is all about for you, Curtis. So, um, other than your own creations, what is your favorite thing to eat in the Denver area? You know, I bring every friend I can to uncle ramen restaurant. He has two locations. Tommy Lee is by far to me the best restaurateur in the city. He brings in great chefs, great people, front and back of the house. They work together harmoniously and produce incredible food uh, in the most consistent manner I know. So Uncle is by far at the top of my list. If there were uh, Michelin-rated restaurants, I think they would deserve a star for sure. In Denver, I mean. So he also owns Hop Alley, which is in Rhino. And that place does such cool Chinese fusion dishes and has a really incredible drink program. You've got these great big drinks you can share, which I don't know if that's happening right now. That might not be okay these days. I haven't been to Hop Alley since the pandemic. But mm-hmm. um, also Uncle, I know, is closing for in-person dining on October 31st. Last I heard, mm-hmm. but their takeout program that they've curated through all of this is just as amazing. But yeah, they're ramen. That's that's it. So do they serve, is there an outdoor seating area? Because my wife and I are actually going to go over there to the, what is it, 96 Westwash Park? I believe that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Penn, uh, Penn Street. It's uh, Penn Street and Bayod, and that's actually where they're doing the Penn Street Market every Saturday morning, which I am at, until the end of the month, every Saturday from 9 to 2. Then I Uh, will see you there, and I get to introduce you to my wife as well. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, cool. That'd be great. I'll look forward to that. Literally right in front of Uncle, and the market is underneath the tents that they use as their seating area. It's been incredible that Tommy opened that up to really, he created it as a way for his employees to make extra cash throughout the pandemic. And I didn't, I didn't know that it was all, almost all employees or former employees of his, but really a good half to two thirds of the people there are people that have worked for Tommy and have just created really cool products. What a guy opening up every single portion of his space for the local community. Love it. Yeah. He's just the, you know, salt of the earth kind of guy that really wants to see everyone happy, successful. And, you know, he, he's, he's not as concerned about his own success as he is everybody's success. Excellent. I mean, with a rising tide, it raises all ships, right? Bingo. Yeah, absolutely. So other than uncle who deserves a shout out, I mean, uh, you, you definitely commended, uh, uncle to the highest degree of, from what it sounds like, but who's, who's hyped <laughs> yeah. you up along the way? Who's supported you? You know, especially with me so hot, there's, there's been just so much help from people within the industry. First and foremost, Lee Sullivan and her, her husband, Travis Pocky, uh, they are incredible within the industry. She runs this thing called the Denver five, which is a nonprofit with five chefs and five uh, bartenders or beverage managers. So five from either side and they do events throughout the year. And she does a lot of consulting for people and she helped me out. Travis is great with numbers and he's helping me out there. And then she led me to some other people that have helped me along the way too. Zachary Johnson with the spice guy. He's another salt of the earth kind of guy, which is ironic, maybe pun intended because he's the spice guy, (laughs) (laughs) but he is just so helpful and such a nice person and and gave me all the information I I could have asked for, as well as Aaron Wagner with Elevation Ketchup. They have an amazing 
Bloody Mary mix as well. Ooh. But Elevate and Ketchup, you can pretty much find anywhere. And that guy, as far as coming from like a sauce standpoint, gave me so many tips on where to go with like handling my pH and getting testing done for FDA standards. It's just all kinds of things that I had literally no idea what the <laughs> heck to do or how to handle. And then that also led me to Kim and Patrick with Kim's Gourmet, Kim's Gourmet Sauces, which is in Casserock. And that's who I use as a co-packer for Miso Hot. And they're also wonderful people. That's one thing with this. I've just found everybody in this industry wants to help each other. Mm. Everybody's really looking to pay it forward. And yeah, Kim and Patrick, they've they've been so helpful with creating my product. I mean, it's it, it's not easy to process necessarily because it's such a thick consistency, mm-hmm. but they're willing to continue doing it for me. And I'm, I'm ever grateful. Uh, I also have to give out a huge shout out to my buddy, Willie. He's helped with everything. He's ridden hours on end in a van with me down in New Mexico. And he's been just a huge part of making this happen. And I don't think there's anybody that believes in it more than than him, actually. He might believe in it more than me. So just <laughs> huge thanks to him. And he, uh, speaking of the New Mexico... Fire Food Show. Yeah, yeah. Fire Food Show. How, how'd that go? It was amazing. That was, the, that was the thing that told us we've got something good on our hands. Because I was going into the belly of the beast. I didn't know if it was going to be successful amongst mm. 150 other hot sauce, hot condiment companies. And we were welcomed with open arms. The judges for the Scovie Awards were like, you need to enter this for next wow. year. We did. And the announcements on those awards will be coming in November or December. So fingers crossed that we win in at least one of the three categories that we put in for. But yeah, we sold so many jars of Miso Hot at the Fiery Foods show that I was like shaking. We were so busy. <laughs> Lines of people four deep on all sides of us. And I, it was like... I have like PTSD flashbacks of it. Like, <laughs> Calm down, man. We got this. Yeah. It was amazing. The fact that people loved it, that are people who love spice and seek it out. And they, they came to us. And since then, people in Albuquerque and the surrounding area order cases. It was very reassuring. I have to make sure I give one more. Okay. I, I have to give a really special shout out to my girlfriend. She's been there for everything, whether it's labeling, driving, being at the markets, anything. She's, she has listened to me nonstop for a year and a half about me so hot because I don't stop talking about it (laughs) there for me. So yeah, biggest shout out goes to her. Biggest shout out. I mean, honestly, it's the direct support of your spouse partner. It's, they have the highest patience for all of us and the (laughs) hobbies that we do, you know, like, yes, I'll tolerate you and whatever you do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what is the next big thing for Miso Hot? And um, what can the audience provide? Can they do anything of value for you? I mean, maybe follow you on Instagram or what? what yeah. what's the next big a- thing? Absolutely. I think if anybody is to follow Miso Hot at Miso Hot Official on Instagram, that really helps with the brand awareness and knowing what we're up to next, where we're going to be. If you want to get a jar, I announce all of my new locations and then supporting us directly as much as possible, uh, ordering online or coming to the markets in person that we announce as well, following along there. We're at Miso Hot Official on Instagram and Facebook mm-hmm. and Twitter, but I don't, I don't really use Twitter. So really, uh, Facebook and Instagram, you can find us or also our website, misohot.co. Awesome. 
I love the product in itself. And so far I've only had one jar, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, quite honestly, I have like maybe a quarter of that jar left. So I might pick up another yeah. jar from you uh, this weekend. <laughs> Sweet. But uh, what else is, is new? I mean, I know you mentioned that there's a lot of red tape that you have to go through just to make another product, a label yeah. and all that good stuff. So I know people have, might have been bothering you with maybe, let's say, a vegan option. I mean, is it vegan right now? Or It is vegan, but okay. I, I've been frequently asked for a hotter version. Oh. So I think a uh, miso so hot or you know, <laughs> something like that will we'll be in the works probably within a year or so. I just have to really get the legs underneath the first product. You know, yeah. I, it's still, it's 10 months old as we speak. Mm -hmm. Um as a business. So I really want to get other varieties of it, but I think the, the OG miso hot will be the, uh, you know, our featured product as long as the company exists. Oh yeah. Um, but doing a hotter version and, and there's been requests for a milder version as well. And then maybe we do a Colorado miso hot with hatch chilies next year. Ooh, brilliant. Uh, yeah. That could be fun as well. So we'll see what the, the future holds for now. The, the OG is, uh, is pretty dang good. If you've gone through three quarters of a jar in about a week, uh, <laughs> or is it two weeks now? That's Give or take. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's an addiction yet, but I feel like it's getting there. Yeah. Sounds like it. <laughs> well, Curtis, thank you so much. Again, this guys check out Miso hot official on Instagram, on Facebook and check out Miso hot in general. I mean, uh, Curtis is at all these pop-ups from NT market next to Fort green at uncle every weekend on Saturdays, but I, that might slow down during the winter too. Right. Have you guys thought about the winter season and what might happen then? Yeah. So actually there's, so there's going to be a night market November 6th and 7th. And then I'm signing up for the evergreen holiday market on December 6th as well. That's brand new. Found that out yesterday. But there's always winter holiday markets that happen. How they're going to happen this year is is, is a big question. I'm not sure what's going to be happening there with indoor versus outdoor markets and everything COVID. We'll, we'll just have to see what happens. But as we find things we're able to do comfortably and safely, we'll be there. I will go there in a bubble suit if I have right. to. My Hazmat, whatever, ventilations, I'll be there. I need to check out <laughs> your shop in this new space. It sounds amazing, man. I mean, this is only my first couple months here and Denver in itself has blown me away with the amount of support. Uh, honestly, I think that's at the foremost of what I'm seeing of everything that's going on around here. You know, People bringing up other people and not so much promoting themselves, yeah. but I think the the love and the heart in it all is what's really shining through to me. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll see that with everybody you speak to, everybody at the night market and the Penn Street market, Virgil with with cream kimchi, the guys with chimichurri bros, Matt with goody get right. Yeah, everybody. I'm, I I could say all of them, but everybody is just helping each other to to learn and grow, and it's it's just amazing. Fantastic, Curtis. Thank you so much for being on yeah. the Big Locals podcast. You will be an amazing guest. I mean, I, I can already tell that this is going to be an amazing podcast. Yeah, so. yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. And I'll talk to you later and I'll see you on Saturday. Okay, cool. I'll see you there. So make sure. Do I have to read it? Wow, that was awesome. I had so much fun recording Curtis and talking about Me So Hot and so many other things, right? talked about the fiery food show in New Mexico and how that all went down. 
Sriracha versus Miso Hot. The one note song of Sriracha compared to the whole symphony of Miso Hot. I love that analogy. His experience in the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. You know, a little bit of a honesty point right here when I was doing some research on, um, on Curtis and he mentioned to his dad that he wanted to become a chef at 10 and be part of the CIA at 12. When I first read that, I was like, what an odd change of events going from chef to CIA agent in like two years. But it turns out it's actually Culinary Institute of America. Little did I know. It looks like I need some more intelligence before I become part of the CIA. Also check out the Evergreen Holiday Market, December 6th. There's no better way to stay up to date with all of his activities and just follow him on Instagram, Miso Hot Official. And if you feel super inspired and want to do your civil duty to help out the locals, check out the Miso Hot website at misohot.co. He ships probably out of state too. I'm not 100% sure. And uh, you know what? Buy a case. You get two free jars at the same time. And that's, if you're me, it won't last you too long because that stuff's amazing. But nonetheless, tell your friends about it. It's really good stuff. At least try a jar. Before I head out, remember to leave a like, subscribe, follow, and a comment to help out Big Locals Podcast and the locals to get their word in the world. Thanks again for hanging out. Remember, shop local, support local, Big Locals Podcast. See ya!